I'm just glad you're. I'm just glad you're here, Sarah. Oh, thank you. You're about to have a baby in five days. Like this is asking <laughs> a lot of you. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Okay. Welcome to the Infertile Mafia. That's Kayla. And that's Sarah. And today you asked, and we're answering. Well, we asked first, and then they asked. <laughs> True. And now we're answering. <laughs> we asked you to ask us questions. Yeah. Which we thought it was going to go a different way. <laughs> <laughs> but this totally, but this works. It's fine. This works too. <laughs> we thought they'd be fun questions, like, oh. about us. Yeah. What's your spirit animal? Don't you want to know about us? But no, people <laughs> wanted to know about infertility stuff. <laughs> yeah, it turns out they tune into a podcast about infertility to find out about infertility. And, and we are happy very, to like, be here for you. Yeah, they're like very heavy questions. Some of them were, yeah. Which, and we get that too. We are like happy to talk to you guys about anything, really. We know we know infertility is a heavy topic, so we're willing to go there. But, but I I feel like one of the reasons we wanted to do this kind of Q&A type episode is because it seems like especially in our Facebook group, which if you haven't joined yet, feel free to do so. It's called the Infertile Mafia. Um I feel like we get a lot of like, well, I haven't been TTCing that long, so sorry if this is a stupid question, or um, like people feeling like they need to preface a, a question or a comment with like, I haven't been doing this very long, or I'm only They're doing afraid an IUI. To ask. They're afraid to ask, yeah. And we don't want you to be afraid to ask. There's no dumb questions. Only dumb answers. <laughs> Is that how the saying goes? I don't know. I like that saying, though. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you have to start somewhere, right? Yeah, just ask your question. Yeah, everyone's, everyone's, wherever you are in your experience, whether you haven't even seen an RE yet or you've done IVF nine times, everyone's experience in this is valid. So... Yeah. We just want to meet you where you are. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah, don't be afraid. Um, but before we do that, uh, speaking of questions, Sarah sent me this article. <laughs> and it made Kayla mad. It did make me mad. I just thought uh it was interesting. Okay, so the article starts off with penis size has been linked to infertility in a study. So, okay, basically, this is an article in Newsweek, and scientists at the University of Utah, Salt Lake City, set out to answer whether penis size affects a man's fertility and found that men with organs measuring 12.5 uh, centimeters, which is a little bit under five inches on average struggle to conceive compared with those who measure 13.4 centimeters, which is over five inches. <laughs> we could do this. Let's calculate uh, centimeters into inches. <laughs> Why are they putting this in centimeters? Who uses centimeters? Uh, most of the world. <laughs> well, we're in America. So, America. Uh, yeah, 5.27 inches is 13.4 centimeters. And what was the other one? 12.5. And that's 4.8 inches. I mean, that's pretty close. In other it's like, it's not like it's a 4-inch penis and an 8-inch penis that yeah. they're talking about. Okay, this is, this is my first issue with this article but go on <laughs> they just said like a little bit shorter the the guys with a little bit shorter penises <laughs> were the ones who had the infertility issues that came to their clinic um 
there's so many holes with this article. <laughs> and all of the doctors even quoted in it are like, yeah, well, it probably isn't doesn't have anything to do with it. So one of the doctors said, were the female partners infertile? Like, they didn't even check, like, the other half of the equation, which we all know is, like, incredibly important. It's just, it's very problematic. And I told you, like, my initial reaction, and I still stand by this statement, is that this is all clickbait. Because you see a headline that says, oh, does penis size affect your fertility? Yeah, you would want to click on it because it looks interesting. And in my opinion, all it does is bring down self-esteem of men who already are struggling with self-esteem about their fertility. And I think it's irresponsible journalism. There you go. Hey, it's not (laughs) about the size. It's about the motion of the ocean. The size of the boat. I mean, some would say width or girth is a... (laughs) Sarah's nodding. (laughs) Like, men don't... Men who are struggling with infertility don't need another thing to feel insecure about, especially when this, as we've stated, like, this study, I put that in quotes, is not at all... Like, it has so many holes in it. It is not... I would not call it scientific by any stretch. Like, yeah, it's, it's more like uh, a girl who's seen a lot of penises, and she's like, well. <laughs> <laughs> right. Here's what happens when it's this kind. Yeah. 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 But so I, that just came up, so. <laughs> I know. No I, that's intended. why we. <laughs> Is there a study that, that says women with. A certain breast size are infertile. <laughs> Probably. That'd be like the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Or I would say a common myth for women on like similarly about their boob size is that women with big boobs have an easier time breastfeeding or like have an easier time producing breast milk. Which is also not, not true. Necessarily true. Right. It depends it on your glands. Right, it has nothing to do with the actual size of your breasts. Uh, your glands will grow, and they'll like you'll get a lot of stretch marks. Because <laughs> they'll be small, and then they'll be really big. Speaking of breast milk and breast size, Sarah, your breasts are looking fantastic lately. Are they? <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, she is like days away from delivering, guys. Yeah. So she's, I mean, yeah. Five days. Five days. Yeah, they're they're pretty much the same as normal right now. But, (laughs) oh man, when your milk comes in, you're like, oh my gosh, it's like I got implants. And then you start spraying everywhere. <laughs> I I just looked at myself in the mirror and thought, oh, this is what a porn star feels like. <laughs> Speaking of porn star, <laughs> yes, Shannon Rose. You know, did you follow her? No, she's a YouTuber. She did okay. porn, but now she does okay. YouTube. Her, <laughs> she. I think her due date was the same day as mine, and she already yeah? had her baby. Yeah. Nice. I'm pretty sure she was, yeah, I'm like 99% sure she was a porn star. Okay. But she did IVF. This is a wild accusation if she's not. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she did porn. <laughs> That's not something I would want someone to accidentally mistake for me. I think Kayla was a porn star. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'd Google her, but I'm a little bit afraid. <laughs> Yeah, if she's a porn star, you should be. On the same topic of porn stars, Sarah, mm-hmm. you've heard of Jenna Jameson, right? Yeah. Did you know she follows my YouTube channel? Oh, yeah. I think I told you that a long time ago. Did she go through infertility? I have no idea. Why would a porn star follow my YouTube channel? Probably because she's infertile. 
Partly. Yeah. Why why else in the world would she have any reason to be interested in me? Yeah. You're funny. I'm not that funny. <laughs> Maybe you're her type of humor. I she just looks saw way it. different now though than she used yeah, to look. Yeah, she does. She does she has mellowed out. She's not doing porn anymore. Maybe she's trying there, to have a baby. I think she had a baby. There comes a time when you just can't do porn anymore. I don't know. Some people like after are into the age of twenty one. MILFs and grannies. Or twenty. <laughs> Let's move on to some questions from our listeners. Oh yeah. <laughs> they probably want to know. Now that we're done talking about penis size and porn stars. <laughs> so Rebecca she asked about she said she has her first appointment with an RE tomorrow and I want to know some major questions I should ask. And so we pointed her back to episode four, which is our, uh, what's it called? Are you there yet? Or something like that. Huh. A lot of people ask questions about the first parts of like, have you tried this? Or what should I ask my doctor? Or, blah, you know, that kind of thing. And I mm-hmm. just wanted to tell people like when they find the podcast, if they start listening to our most recent episode... If you go That's back, I yeah, I do that too. But if you go back to our earlier ones, like we did have a little bit of a map. We have like a loose timeline, which is like, here's what happens when you first start trying. And here's what happens when you find out you're infertile. And here's what happens when you go to the doctor. And here's what happens next. And like tried to lay it out kind of in the timeline of, you know. What happens? What happens, yeah. So if you have any of those, like, if you're in the early stages of figuring out your situation, some of our earlier episodes might be more helpful to you. So I just thought I'd put that out there. They should. Rebecca also asked, Sarah, this is a good question for you. Yes. She said, for those who have had male REs, is it weird? Did you feel uncomfortable? You had two male... No. One. No, I just had one. Just the one. Yeah, your second one. I did not feel uncomfortable. I was just like, I don't know. It's not anything weird to go to. They're just doctors. Yeah. It's not like we're going on a date. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, honestly, the RE doesn't dig around in your vagina that much. It's mostly the nurses. Mm, mine did. Like... For one appointment for the hysteroscopy. Well, yeah. um, I've never been alone with a male doctor checking things. (laughs) Like, I've never been alone with my male RE in an ultrasound or for the hysteroscopy. There's always at least one or two nurses there. But, yeah, it's not... um, it's not an uncomfortable thing because it's not like a sexual thing. Right. Missy. Go ahead. She said, am I ever going to be okay with baby showers two years in and it just gets harder and harder? Or on the non-medical side, is the treatment actually going to work or are you just having me do this because it's what you have everyone go through? Those are questions. I feel like we can't really answer. No, they're very (laughs) specific to each person. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What do you feel about baby showers? Yeah, let's just offer opinions instead of... (laughs) um, I don't know. I mean, the baby shower thing is... It's just a very personal decision about the way people individually handle that type of thing so yeah I can't answer that for you I can understand for some people why it would just get harder and harder and then for other people they might just find better ways to cope with a situation like that you know so it's just I wouldn't say it gets easier I would just say you learn to cope with it better maybe do you get invited to a lot of baby showers not anymore I don't Yeah, but some people do, you know. Yeah, some people have friends. (laughs) Again, I don't. 
So I haven't been to a baby shower in a long time. I don't have that many. I'm not a super social butterfly either. But as we said in our trigger, whatever, trigger warning episode, that baby showers and baby announcements are like one of the biggest triggers for women going through infertility. Understandably so. Baby showers really suck. They're very hard. If I go to a baby shower, usually I'm the one throwing it. Yeah. Yep. Or I go and I don't know anyone. <laughs> like, those are the two types of baby showers. Like, I only know the person uh-huh. who's having the baby, and that really sucks. Yeah. Because everyone has babies, and you're like, yeah. And they're all like talking this, about them. Yeah, this was before it had babies myself. Like... I was sitting next to a girl who was breastfeeding her, like, seven-month-old, and the seventh-month-old was kicking me. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't know her. I didn't know anyone but the pregnant girl, and she was friends. I mean, I knew her because my husband was friends with her husband. Okay. So... You're like, lady, can you please make your asshole baby stop kicking me? (laughs) Like, your baby's kicking me while you're breastfeeding him. This is really Uh uncomfortable. And then I cried the whole way home. you. Aww. I mean, that is like the worst. You're sad already that you're at a baby shower. Then you have to sit next to someone breastfeeding their kid. And then the baby's kicking you the whole time. Well... And I didn't know anyone, and I'm not good in social situations where I don't know anyone. Yeah, that pretty much sounds like your worst case scenario. Uncomfortable. Yeah, Yeah. it is. (laughs) If I go Uh, to a baby shower, they better have, like, cucumber sandwiches with the crust cut off. And alcohol. I've never been to one with alcohol. (laughs) I served alcohol at my baby shower. (laughs) They had Mm. all the infertile people in mind that I invited. Uh, Uh, My baby shower, only it was only like Peter's aunts who showed up. Yeah, I'm kidding. Mine was mostly family, too, and very close friends. Um, Like, a couple friends showed up. Yeah. Like, two. No, wait, three. Paula flew in. Wow, what a great friend. Yeah. I know. That's awesome. Yeah, and that was when she found out she was pregnant after doing her second frozen embryo transfer. Aw. We were looking at her pee stick at Applebee's the next day. (gasps) That's so fun. And I was like, there's a line. Man, infertile friends are the best. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They really are. It just bonds you so strongly right away, really. Mm -hmm. I would say for Missy, the advice I would give about the baby showers is if they're really hard, just don't go. Unless it's someone that you really, really care about, don't put yourself through that. Like, you might be getting sick that day. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No one wants to be around sick people for baby showers. Especially not pregnant women and women with children. Mm, no. <laughs> and or as, if you go, you'd probably get sick from their little germ mongers. Right. So just don't go. Just don't go. Yeah. And on the other side, I'm sensing a bit of um, uh, cynicism <laughs> in our other question. Uh, is the treatment yeah. actually going to work? Or do you just have us do this because it's what you make everyone do? Yeah, I mean, I I can I get that sort of sense of cynicism like or doubt, skepticism. I don't think they make everyone go through the same things. I think for the most part they make well, everyone they go do. through a lot yes. of the same diagnostics and like IUIs onto IVF. But depending on your infertility diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. It depends. But I don't, I would like to think that most REs don't just suggest, I would say most, because I know there are exceptions to the rule here, but I don't think most just have like a formula that they apply to every patient that walks in their door. And, you know, I think most of the time they're trying to cater the treatment that they recommend to the individuals. 
So I would hope so. And if you feel like your doctor's not doing that, maybe look into a different doctor. Yeah. A lot of people <laughs> change clinics. Yeah, a lot of people do. You did. I did. Yes, that's true. And f- kind of for a similar reason. Yeah, I mean, I did move, but I don't think I would have went back to that clinic. Yeah. Yeah. And then so. next question. Kelsey, does the anxiety from infertility lessen once you are pregnant, or are things like pregnancy announcements still tough? Yep. I, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it depends on the individual person, I would say, for that one, too. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's kind of hard to switch off. It's very hard to switch off. I uh, think... For me personally, pregnancy announcements aren't, they're, they're obviously not like hard in the same way that they were before I had kids, but I absolutely still get a twinge of jealousy or, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. That like, oh, it's so easy for you. (laughs) If it's someone who's, especially if it's someone who's throwing it in your face, like first try or we weren't even trying, then yeah, I definitely still feel the same feelings that you're probably having, Kelsey. (laughs) Like sometimes I'll judge people. (laughs) No, Sarah, judging people? What? What? Not like... (laughs) normal people just people that are making bad decisions <laughs> which is a very judgmental thing to say yeah it's it easier to like be genuinely happy for people yeah yeah so i would say it gets easier yeah that part You're... gets easier now the other part of her question does anxiety from infertility infertility lessen once you're pregnant for me no no <laughs> i mean And in a similar vein, we also had a question from Corey that says, let me preface this with saying I've had multiple early miscarriages. Assuming IVF works eventually, how do you make it through 10 months without being scared every time you go to the doctor that something will be wrong? I have anxiety about getting pregnant, but more about making it to the point where I'm bringing home a healthy baby. I mean, I guess it depends on the person, like, especially... The first pregnancy, you're like, what's going to happen? You're waiting for the other shoe to drop. (laughs) Always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, every little thing is a big deal. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're, like, super scared about everything. And it it is easier to do once you've had that experience under your belt, I'm sure. Yes. Like, not every single thing is new when it's your second pregnancy. Not at all. So and you probably feel a little bit more confident in your body because you've already done it once. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have your other kid to distract you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I think I was probably even more anxious than most women that I see. Um, it was pretty crippling for me. And it did... And it was... Uh, it was kind of a feeling that I wasn't expecting and one that I wish I had maybe talked more openly about because, again, a lot of my support system during my pregnancy were were people that had gone through infertility with me. And so I was very hesitant to talk about feeling anxious or nervous about being pregnant because while those feelings are extremely valid and normal to have, that again like we've said this a lot on this podcast you are you want to be very sensitive to your friends that are still trying and that can sound like complaining or like you're not grateful and yes so it's a hard place to be really well especially if you're one of the first ones yeah (laughs) to get pregnant out of like your close infertile friends then Mm -hmm. you're like i can't really tell them about how scared I am. Yeah. Well, and, and I didn't women... even talk about being pregnant with them, really. Right. Yeah. And I think and I think having these conversation these types of conversations with women who 
had no trouble getting pregnant and had very normal, like uneventful pregnancies is also because they're like, what are you so worried about? Everything's going to be fine. And they don't really get the sense of anxiety that you have about it. Yeah. I think especially if you've gone through it loss, if you've had miscarriages, then the anxiety is especially high because you're very worried about that happening again. So, yeah, that would be that would make things way more scary if yeah. you've had a loss before. Yeah. Um yeah, but then there's like a fine line of sharing oversharing sometimes. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Like, yeah, that can alienate the other infertile people you're friends with if you overshare so like I didn't want to overshare at all Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to make people feel bad so right it's good to find like a you know a network of some people that you can talk to about feeling anxious and um you know like another friend like for example our our Facebook group infertile mafia bosses and babies I was gonna bring that up yeah, there's a lot of women in there going, I'm still nervous, I'm still, th-, you know, and that is a great place because they all feel the same way you do. They're all anxious about their pregnancies because they've gone through infertility. So finding those people that you can be open and honest about those feelings with is important. Another thing that helped me was the, um, I know you did this too, Sarah, The um, those meditative or like... yeah. The positive affirmations. Hypnosis. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't really do the hypnosis, but she... I'll link it in the show notes. Brie Molyneux. She does all these, like, hypnosis and positive affirmations for different stages. Like, for infertility and for pregnancy and for C-sections and She had twin ones, too, I think. She did have a twin one. Yeah. So, that really helped me to, like, stay positive when I was feeling anxious. Yeah. That does help, because she's like... My body can do this. Yeah. <laughs> say Except to she your, has... She's from Australia, so... Yeah. To, say to yourself that your body is going to carry this baby to term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which sounds <laughs> funny, but it's it was comforting. It was very comforting. I would listen to them on the way to every time I would have an ultrasound, because that's when my anxiety would really begin to peak, was on the way to the doctor. Yeah. Um, Here's a pro tip. Make your ultrasounds as early in the morning as you can. Yeah. (laughs) Just get it over with. Yeah. You don't want to be, like, freaking out all day. Yeah. So uh, that may not be a super positive answer, but it is an honest one. (laughs) The anxiety does not lessen. So maybe if you know to expect that, you might be better prepared for it. Yeah. Cynthia has lots of questions. She does we have can't a lot of get questions. to all of her questions. Yeah. But um one that I thought we could touch on was she asked about morphology, sperm morphology. Uh can it be changed with diet and exercise? Uh I say no. I say I don't know. I yeah, I say I don't know and I lean towards no. And that's just from like years of reading about sperm morphology and to not beat yourself up about it because there's not a lot you can do with diet and exercise Mm-mm. um usually it's a w- hormone thing well or an environmental factor thing which is why i was gonna say like a lot of times i'll link bad morphology on like oxidative stress which is something you you can limit in your life a little bit with diet and exercise, but it's not like if you all of a sudden start eating spinach and running every day that your morphology is magically going to, it's just not, the correlation yeah. isn't that direct. I don't think most sources that you f- find will tell you that a, it's the hardest one to change. But I think a lot of that's because they don't really know exactly why. And all of the, everything is like hypothesis, like, well, it might be this, it might be that. So, like, and I've said no, this many, many times, instead of trying to change the morphology, you want to increase the count. You just want more of all of them mm-hmm. so that you have more good ones. Yeah. You know? 
she had another question mm-hmm. um, with implantation. Do you always know when it happens? Um, she reads that when it happens. Oh, she read that spotting happens. Um, or And she wonders if that always happens. Uh, I don't think spotting always happens. No. But I swear I could feel implantation. Yeah. I may be crazy. But I was like, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I could feel it. Hmm. It felt like like I was at a eating pizza at a pizza place and then I started feeling like I felt a jab and then it felt like the cr- cramps before you get your period mm-hmm. like the warning cramps. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think some people say that yeah, they do feel it. I would I though would say because the question was, do you always know when it happens? And I would no, say most no. of the time, no. The answer to that is no. I was on the lookout. Yeah. Like, you were hyper, like, tuned in to everything happening in the uterus. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, that's women who go through IVF. Like, they know exactly when the embryo gets in there. So they're very much paying attention to every twinge. Um, yeah. But, no, you most of the time don't know when it happens. Like, for a normal person, I, I could see them not. Right. Like, yeah, they don't. No. Whatever. Oh, I had a cramp. Okay. Yeah. Move like, on. If I were not looking out for it, I would have been like, oh, it's just my body. Right. <laughs> Doing its yeah. thing. And um, spotting, I don't, I don't know. I had some bleeding in week four like at four weeks but i think that was from the endometrium yeah which is can be common with those progesterone did you have spotting yeah oh you well no that's not what she's talking she's talking about implantation bleeding i think yeah she's talking about implantation i mean did you have implantation oh did i um the first time I got pregnant, the one that ended in a miscarriage, yes, I had I had implantation bleeding. The second time I did not with the twins. The, the one that, you know, the second time something actually in, implanted. Mm-hmm. So it just depends. And I, I have read that some women, like, have enough spotting that they think that they're having their period. Like, it can be yeah. kind of heavy. And it's just implantation bleeding. And then some people, it's just like a tiny little bit. And you're like, oh, that was weird. You know, again, yeah. if you're not looking for pregnancy. Or you think your so. period's going to start. Because it's like kind of like the beginning of your period when it's just. Yeah. But then it never comes. And you're like, huh. That's that was weird. weird. <laughs> yeah. But. So it doesn't happen every time. To it doesn't happen every time. Um. Carlotta asks, how do you keep up with your normal day-to-day life with all the early doctor's appointments, shots, pills, and general ailments? It's a hard I juggling guess you just act. just do it. <laughs> I, I don't really, I don't know. You just have to do it. Like, I shot up in the bathroom mm-hmm. of a trampoline park. <laughs> we shot up in a lot of inconvenient places. I had yeah, to hide an HCG trigger one time, like, in the in the fridge at work. Like, I, I didn't want people to see it, so I, like, kind of nestled it behind all these Diet Coke cans. Ooh, that sounds good. <laughs> A Diet Coke. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do. Like you yeah. said. I think we answered some questions like that in our infertility in the workplace episode i don't remember which number that one was but it's called infertility in the workplace if you want to listen to that one yeah you just kind of do it and don't think about it i guess like i've said before i thought about ivf as dentist appointments like Mm -hmm. i don't dwell on dentist appointments i just go have them do whatever to my mouth and then go on with my day. I think you're very good at compartmentalizing your feelings, though, Sarah. <laughs> That's true. And a lot of women like myself are not. So <laughs> one way that I, like, I didn't tell anybody at work. 
So that was a way that helped me compartmentalize it because it wasn't, I could pretend like it wasn't a thing at work. I mean, that did make like appointments tricky sometimes. So I had to work around that. But when I was at work, I was at work and I wasn't thinking about it. So, I mean, that was a good, like, refreshing way for me to deal with day-to-day life was to keep it out of my professional life as much as possible. Yeah. 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 I played a lot of Candy Crush, too. Like, distracting. (laughs) Yeah. Distraction helps. Take, Take up the space in your mind. Yeah. Like, if you have some random time to feel to feel fill to feel things to feel (laughs) don't don't feel things you need to fill it (laughs) with mindless games (laughs) so ashley had a question that you liked oh or you said you liked it Uh, uh anyone else struggling with wanting a family and being terrified of the commitment i want kids and we are in the home stretch of getting our IVF procedure uh, this month, but I'm also freaking out about the huge responsibility of caring for another human, which, yeah, I get. It's not I as think... bad as you think. <laughs> <laughs> I think that makes you very self-aware because that's a very normal feeling to have. Like you should be, you should be, um. Ner- a little bit like I don't know worry I don't want to do all these negative adjectives but you should be thinking about what a commitment it is to like be responsible for another human because it is an uh, enormous commitment I'm nervous about having a newborn again not yeah gonna lie. <laughs> yeah but once you're in there doing it like and you have no choice it's fine and you have no choice <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's you, fine. You can't be like, um, I changed my mind. You can't return them. So no. So you're pretty much you're locked in. Yeah, you're locked in. And you have, I mean, unless you want to like be a bad parent, <laughs> right? Some people don't lock in. Yeah. I wonder if she was afraid to ask this question because this is not a common question you would hear from women struggling with infertility. But it doesn't mean that they didn't and don't have that question. I had the same thoughts. Yeah. I did too. Even this time around, I'm like, can I handle two? Yeah. Well, and And I'm just very selfish. So I didn't want my life to change. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you're like living a cool life in Chicago. Oh, no. You know? It's all if every, every place is what you make it. Yeah, but you're like, cool, and you can go to the pub right now if you want to. <laughs> I don't, though. That's just it. That's ex- <laughs> that's a, exactly the point I'm trying to make. Before I had kids, yeah, my life was a bit more exotic. So the thought of that changing and being like a selfless person responsible for two other people, yeah, I think that's normal to be like, <gasps> Ooh, that sounds a little scary. I don't know if you have animals. Like, I feel like animals kind of help you prep for that. The responsibility. Yeah. 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 I can see that. that. Yeah. Your life is going to change, though. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to change. You can't Um, be selfish anymore. And that kind of sucks. No. Because you want to be. Yeah. You still, you still are inherently selfish (laughs) inside, but you. Put your big girl pants on and make it happen. Diana says, drinking and infertility. How bad is it to drink occasionally prior to IUI insemination? I don't think it's bad at all. Mm -mm. Or should it be zero alcohol the entire cycle? Mm, I don't think Mm -mm. so. I drank the entire time. And look at me. I turned out fine. And I think my kids are fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think alcohol is going to affect an IUI at all. No, or I don't I don't think it'll affect an IVF when you're in the cycle either. Like binge drinking months and years before you do IVF is going to affect your fertility. Having a glass of wine 
or two or three or four, (laughs) not all at the same time, but over the course of a month going through a fertility treatment? No, that is not going to move any needles anywhere. Mm -mm. So, so go ahead and drink. Go ahead and drink. Get your warm bath going. Pour your glass of wine and relax. Yeah, I mean, while you're doing... relax a little, it's a good thing. Like, you might not even feel like drinking, depending (laughs) on how the stuff affects you. But, like, if you feel like drinking, then... Just do it. It's fine. And Do it responsibly. I think I told you that I had a doctor one time say, drink till it's pink. (laughs) Really? Yeah. This was an OB. Yeah. I mean, yeah. No point in depriving yourself. No. And, I mean, everything you read will be like, abstain from alcohol. But it's just because it's like that same thing of they don't want to give anyone an inch because they'll take a mile. And, like, mm-hmm. which is like, stupid. Like, binge drinking. Yeah, exactly. Like, people, why don't you give people more credit like, that they can act like responsible adults? I mean, women in Europe drink during pregnancy. That does so, not sound fun to me. Well, no, because you feel nauseous all the time, so the last thing you want is alcohol. Yeah. But uh, all that to say, like, they drink in moderation, and it's not a thing. Like, nobody makes you, like, nobody crucifies you for having a glass of wine when you're pregnant in certain countries. It's the United States that's like, no! I mean, <laughs> I don't know if I would drink. I, I wouldn't drink during pregnancy. But that's me. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a, again, it's just use your own best judgment kind of thing is how I feel mm-hmm. about it. So I don't, but especially during You know that we like drinking. Yeah, you guys know we like drinking. So, it, Diane, I feel like you knew what we were going to say. <laughs> we're giving you the green light. Do it. <laughs> green light. <laughs> Red light, everybody take a shot. <laughs> you know that song? Yeah. <laughs> now it's in my head. Um, okay, so the last thing, this is a general thing because we've had so many people ask about ICSI. Mm, yes. We've had people it's, email. It's I-C-S-I. Yes. When and we say ICSI, that's what we mean. It's a, uh, what is it called with the Intracytoplasmic sperm injection. Well, that, but like when they just have the letters. Oh, it's an acronym. Yes. <laughs> right. ICSI's Got not it. an actual word. It's an no. acronym. Yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. means what Kayla just said. Intracytoplasmic sperm injection. Okay. So you're like, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> so... They take the egg, they find one good sperm, and they inject it into the egg. Yep. That's all it is. Pretty much it. They just fertilize it. They don't let it do its own thing in the Petri dish. They actually inject the sperm into the egg. And it's used very frequently with IVF, especially when there's male factor infertility involved. Yep. And it does have better results usually than traditional do you think i think it does i mean why else would they use it all the time yeah i mean it's more of like a sure thing kind of thing yeah um but i mean i say that but again they only know like they only pick out a good looking egg and a good looking sperm because they don't really know if there's any other defect in either one of those so it's not like ICSI is a guaranteed that it's going to be a healthy embryo, but you did you do ICSI? Yeah, yeah, we did too. Yeah, but when we say ICSI, it's not an actual word; it's just an acronym, and we say ICSI so that we don't have to say intracytoplasmic sperm injection because that's a mouthful. That yeah, it is. But that's <laughs> what it is. That's what it is. It's pretty simple, right? I mean, I think it's easy enough to understand. In general, it's just like yeah. injecting the sperm into the egg yep. so they don't have to get in there themselves. As if men aren't lazy enough. 
Let me just so. do the work for you here. Yeah. So that was all our fertility-related questions. We we got two non-fertility-related questions. <laughs> that made and... us feel really bad about ourselves, guys. <laughs> Remember how we said we're selfish and self-centered? We want to talk about ourselves. Yeah. No one cares about us. <laughs> not really. That's not true. But... <laughs> No, that's, I mean, we are here to talk about infertility stuff and not ourselves. Yes, we're, we are, that is, we're joking. Because we're not that, like, I'm not that interesting, I would say. <laughs> I'm not I either. like to hear about other people's stuff. Yeah, that's what we, that's why we, we find the whole topic of infertility super interesting. That's why we talk about it every week. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Brittany asked... Okay, she said the switch from YouTube to podcasting. Um, now that you're some months into the community, are the communities different? Uh, I would say that there's not really a community with other podcasters with us. No, not yet. I mean, we know some other podcasters that we're oh. like. We we know people. We don't really <laughs> talk to them frequently or anything. Not yet, but I mean, we're still kind of a newbie in yeah. the world of podcasting, so I would say that one is to be seen. I feel like the community we've built is, is on is with our Facebook group and like you guys that listen that. Yes, with the we listeners. Interact with. Yeah, and YouTube <laughs> was like two way, and you became mm -hmm. friends like. People who would comment on your videos on YouTube could be just people who watch or other people making YouTube videos themselves. Yeah, and that's how Sarah and I became friends was like, oh, hey, and we would talk, chat, like comment on each other's video, like, good luck yeah. with your upcoming cycle, and I did that too, and then you, the ne one thing I leads like to another, too. and you have a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how it's different. I would say it's more isolating podcasting is. Yeah, because it's just you, Sarah. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I know you only I do have like, my mug. I do like the Facebook group, though. Yeah, I feel like the Facebook group gives us a way to be more connected interpersonally with the community. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. I would say that in that aspect, podcasting has been better than YouTube. Since we have the Facebook group. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. Because and we then... feed off of the the feedback you guys give us. Like, we we love connecting with you. We love hearing your stories. We love talking about you. That's why we ask you guys questions and read them. Because <laughs> we like connecting with you guys. Mm -hmm. So, um, I would say the best thing, Sarah, about podcasting is that... We get to sit here like in our pajamas. Yeah, like that I'm was, laying like, in bed right now. Yeah, I, I feel like the big downside for me with my YouTube channel, like one of the, aside from the fact that editing a YouTube video is a lot harder, in my opinion. Well, you went but, crazy with it. Yeah, I was kind of. I didn't just turn it on and then turn it off and upload. I feel I always like they're edited. the same level of editing for me. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I just swallowed a bug. Oh my gosh. <coughs> Why is there a bug in my closet? What gross. kind of bug? Extra protein? Ew. That is so gross. Let's Guys, hope I it just wasn't a drain a fly. Ugh. <clears throat> Ugh. No, I was just gonna say I would procrastinate videos because it because I felt like I had to like Get dressed and fix my yeah. hair and put on makeup. Same here. So this is great. I also love that I get to just have a conversation with you. Whereas with YouTube, you're you're talking to the camera. Mm -hmm. not actually talking to a person when you're making a video. So I love that I get to sit down and talk to you. Yeah, it, it's definitely more conversational with the podcast. With another person. Like, you don't have to see my face to... No, so it it is a little more accessible that way for us. Like and I feel head. like podcasts are much more 
accessible to the consumer too. Like YouTube, you have to sit and watch a video, whereas a podcast you can have on in the car, you can have it on at mm-hmm. work, you can have it on at home in your living room. It's a little easier to consume than a YouTube video. Yes. But thank you. That was a good question. I think Sarah and I both loved YouTube and mm-hmm. it, we got many, many positive experiences out of it, like our friendship and friendship with lots of other people. And yes. that was kind of our community back then before Facebook groups were like a big, a bigger thing than they are now. But yeah, I think podcasting is a great fit for us now at this stage of where we are. And I, I told them I was thinking about doing more like crafty videos, like how to. Mm-hmm. I think those are good for YouTube. Yeah. Because I'm looking up a lot of videos on embroidery right now and I'm not finding them. So. <laughs> so just make them yourself. Once I figure out the things I'm trying to figure out, I will make the videos and hopefully help other people so they don't have to like search and search for how to embroider on a ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a great use for your YouTube channel, Sarah. Yeah, I don't think I'll put it on my Sarah Loves Peter one because all these people would be like, what? What? <laughs> a craft video yeah they're like uh aren't you infertile why are you talking about sewing yeah this is not related <laughs> <laughs> um okay the last question is from christy she wanted to know about our sleeping habits <laughs> thanks for a question we were looking for christy <laughs> she said like how many pillows do you sleep with like what do you think about sheets I'm I'm guessing like thread count and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> well, I don't use a top sheet. You don't? No. So you just have your fitted sheet and then your comforter. Yeah. Really? Did I just blow your mind? A little bit. I I just hate flat sheets. Like they get all tangled up under the comforter. That's true. And then I like it's all tangled up around my feet, and then. So I just don't use them. And Peter and I use different comforters. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, because he gets hot. It's just made things so much better because I like to roll up into a cocoon. Ah. And we're like, you don't have to fight over the sheets or fight over the blankets. And you have your own. Good for your marriage. To well, have separate comforters. He doesn't even sleep in here with me right now because I snore oh, so loud. Because you take up the entire bed. No, it's because I snore so loud. Oh. Like I snore before I sleep. Like I hear myself snoring as I'm going oh, to sleep. No. You like wake yourself up. I'm doing it. I was like, oh no. And then he can hear me through two closed doors in the wall. Because oh, no. he's sleeping in Bjorn's bed with him. Aww. <sighs> so. I can relate to Peter because Bill snores like a foghorn. We have a sleep apnea machine that just collects dust. No, oh. He doesn't use it. Well, I'm hoping my snoring goes away. but And then I, I sleep with two pillows. I sleep with two pillows, one between my knees. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, I have like a pillow against the headboard and then another pillow and then I have one between my knees so I guess I sleep with three pillows gotcha which also takes up a lot of room yeah do you have a king size bed or a queen size bed or a full size queen you have a queen I've been (sighs) begging for a king but Peter's like we don't need a king a king will revolutionize your marriage (laughs) I guess Peter sleeping in a different room helps with the size well, yeah, you you don't need a king size bed if you're not in the same bed. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Do um, you, do you have a king? We do. We went from a full though to a king, Oof. and it was like, where are you? Are you, are you? <laughs> over here? Jealous. Here? Here? Yeah, it feels huge, but awesome. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's awesome. When Peter and I first got married, we were just sleeping in a twin. Oh. That sucked. <laughs> and then we got this bed. But You're like, I like cuddling, but not this much. Yeah. I'm <laughs> like, I'm just going to sleep 
against the wall. <laughs> well, going from a twin to a queen probably felt like an enormous improvement. Yeah. It, it was. We should have yeah. just went for a king, though. Yeah. In the future. Because I, yeah. I think when we, like, if we're staying at someone else's house or a hotel or something and it's a queen-size bed... We're all we're both just like, oh my gosh, get off me! You're touching me. <laughs> Don't touch me. <laughs> it feels like you're really close. Says you are. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I love my top sheet though, but and I'm kind of snooty about like I want really soft, high thread count sheets that are luxurious feeling like I want to slip into the sheets and it feels just like you know yeah I know really... what you're saying mm-hmm, mm-hmm. do you buy yeah. them from like Target or do you get them from like fancy sheet stores you know it depends like it I've gotten them from lots of different places it's more about the feel for me than just because I've had like cheap sheets from Target that are awesome, and then I've had some that are like super fancy, supposedly, and they don't feel soft to me at all. So it just mm-hmm. depends. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. I feel the same way about the sheets having to be have a certain feel. Mm-hmm. There's just there's nothing worse than like an like itchy sheets, the scratchy yeah. like that's terrible. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. So, yeah, I'm with you on the soft. Or it doesn't, it's, soft isn't the right word. It just has to have a certain feel. Like yeah. smooth. Smooth, yeah. Smooth's a good but word. But not too smooth. Not right. Like I don't want satin sheets. Like, I don't want to jump no. on the bed and, like, fly off the other <laughs> side. Uh. Uh, plus, satin sheets and TTCing don't go together. <laughs> oh, man. No. My sister had a fascinating, like, asked for satin sheets. She was in high school or something. She, like, really, really wanted satin sheets. <laughs> Which is a weird thing for, like, a 16-year-old to ask for. Maybe she read that it helps with, like, your face. Maybe. And acne yeah. and stuff. And your hair. But I think, I don't know that she would admit it, or she definitely didn't at the time, but I think she was like, eh, these aren't that great. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I made a mistake. Yeah, shoot. Why'd I ask for satin sheets and not a These new Walkman? These are horrible. <laughs> what, did you just say I could have got a new Walkman? I did, but that was a bad uh, cultural example because <laughs> we were way past Walkmans by the time she was in high school. They had Walkman CD players. Yeah, we would have had one. She would have, that would have been more accurate. <laughs> At least I got I didn't mine say taken boom away. Box. At least you didn't say what? Boom box. Oh, man. Boom box. You know, box. like the yeah. kind you carry on your shoulder and walk down the street with. The party's that was like with me. 80s. I know. At least I didn't go back that far. But everyone had like the purple boom box. You oh. know? With, do you know what? Like, no. I don't know. No. Like purple and gray, and then it has a tape player and a CD player. Yeah. Yeah. But. And and you have to have like enormous like triple D batteries. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> to walk I around. I always plugged mine in. My dad yeah. still uses mine. Nice. Oh, that is classic dad thing to do. Like, there's nothing yeah. wrong with this boombox. I'll put it here it's in the garage. Fine. And it's in the garage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is such a dad thing to do. It is. It totally is. Um, guys, thank you so much for all your questions. This was a fun one for us. We yeah. appreciate. Um, if this sparked any other questions, feel free to email us. You can always email us or ask in the Facebook group. Uh, again, our closed Facebook groups are called the Infertile Mafia and the Infertile Mafia Bosses and Babies. You can follow us on Instagram at Infertile Mafia Podcast. That's another great place you can slip into our DMs. Like I said, you can email us, infertilemafia at gmail.com. And, of course, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast to keep hearing more talk about eggs and balls and stuff. And dad tricks. Dad stuff. Dad stuff. (laughs) (laughs) In our next episode, we're talking about triggers? Maybe. Is that what we're talking about? I'm not sure what we're talking about. We're talking about something. 
we may have talked about triggers before now. We're not sure. Things are a little out of order as we prepare for the baby. I say we. <laughs> we're, we're both preparing for the baby. We're both preparing, yeah. So Actually, we'll I think Kayla's more prepared than I am. But. <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> I don't think that's true. So we don't know what's up next. But yeah, but there there will be an episode up next. So yes. stick around. <laughs> and as always, thanks for joining the Inferno Mafia. Bye. Bye.